Welcome to the Redeemer Church Odessa podcast. We are a gospel-centered, missional family that is rooted in biblical community and discipleship serving Odessa, Texas. So this morning we are going to be introduced to a man named John the Baptist. And while every metaphor reaches its end at some point and breaks down, I tend to think about John the Baptist as like a physician's assistant. That's a simile, not a metaphor, because I used like. John is a physician's assistant, uh, with Jesus being the great physician. Now, Jesus needs no assistant, but just consider the role of John the Baptist with me for a second. John comes to the earth as the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus. He is talked about in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Isaiah, as one who is going to come and prepare the way for Jesus. We see John in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He is preaching a message of faith and and repentance and baptizing repentant sinners. John the Baptist is an occupation. The Baptist, the baptizer, it's his occupation, not his denominational persuasion, just FYI. So don't think about John the Baptist as some crotchety old man in a suit. He is existing to baptize people. John, like a good physician's assistant, can help point people towards a diagnosis He can tell people that there is something wrong with them. He tells people to repent from their sins. He can tell people that they have needs. But ultimately, he is under the authority of the great physician, Jesus. John has no authority over sin and death the way that Jesus does. John the Baptist is, in every way, like us a man in need of the saving grace of God on his life. He is a man in need of the healing power of Christ to him. John came as a witness to Christ. John came in order to tell people that there is something better coming. John has upon his life, apart from the prophetic ministry that was uniquely his, John has upon his life the same calling that you and I have. And that is to bear witness to our great Savior. John is a picture of faith for us. And yet, as a holy man, he has a relationship with Christ. He knows that there is nothing good inside of him apart from the work of God on his life. So when you consider your own life this morning, a couple things I want us to consider together. When you consider your own life, The question I want to ask is, are you living missionally? Do you view the places where you live, work, play, go to school as opportunities to share your faith? Another thing I'd ask you to consider this morning is, do you put your hope for salvation in yourself? Are you putting your hope for salvation in your good works, your moral living, your own righteousness. Do you really see your sin for what it is? Do you 
see your need for Jesus. When you consider your life, do you really see your own brokenness? Or do you think you're good enough on your own? So that's the, the frame we're going to be walking through the text with this morning. Uh, before we jump in, let's, let's pray and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Lord Jesus, we need you. Show us our great need for you, Christ. I pray that you would soften hearts to you and soften hearts to those around us that don't know you. Lord, may we live in light of the grace that is so undeserved and so freely given to us. Lord, impress on our hearts our need for kingdom work. Remind us of the saving power of Christ to us, Lord, and, and propel us out. Church, if you're willing, and ask that you would pray for yourself, that the Lord would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, John chapter one. We're back in the prologue. This is prologue part two, if you will. John chapter one, beginning in verse six, the text says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So last week we were introduced to what was said to be the Word, that is Jesus, that's in verses 1, 1 through 5. We are then introduced to this other man. His name is John. Again, he is different from the John that is writing this gospel. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist's mom was named Elizabeth, and she was said to be barren and gets pregnant with John in her old age. Her cousin is Mary, the mother of Jesus. We see in Luke's gospel, Mary traveling to see and visit Elizabeth. And when she walks into their house, both of them were pregnant. When she walks into Elizabeth's house, at the sound of Mary's voice, the text says that John, <clears throat> John in utero, leaps in his mother's womb with excitement. John has been bearing witness about Jesus literally since before he was born. Verse 6 tells us he was sent from God. This is the same type of language that is used in the Old Testament when God raises up a prophet and then sends, sends the prophet to the people of God with a message from God. The prophet was sent from God, and so we know because of the language, the way that John the Baptist is spoken about here in this text is being sent from God, John the Baptist is also a prophet. His role, or his job as a prophet then, was to be a witness, to give testimony about the light, about the things of Jesus. This is calling us back to verses 4 and 5 where we're told that Jesus has come into the world 
has come into our space, our time, and Jesus himself is the light and the life. John is calling people to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the long-awaited one, the Christ. And John is showing us what a witness for Jesus is supposed to look like. The text says, John is not the light himself, but rather a reflection of the light. So church, you can't be an effective witness. You can't be an effective witness for Christ if your life really doesn't look like what you say you believe. John has been changed by God through Christ. And now he has a story to tell, both in word and deed. John doesn't make this message up. John doesn't design this message. He was sent on a mission by God to tell people about Jesus Christ. John, verse 8, tells us is not the light, but he is telling others about the light. This is a kind of an interesting thought to me. I've always just kind of assumed light, you know, like light has always been there. Light really, to me, needs no explanation, right? It's just something I guess I've kind of always taken for granted. Like when I get here on Sunday mornings with, with my two oldest who are helping me set up, they're the remnant of the setup team from our Fun Dome days. Um, I walk in and I turn the lights on and we can see. I don't have to tell my kids, hey, guys, the lights are on now. We can see it. We experience it. So why, then, is Jesus referred to as light? If you had to explain light to somebody in your life who had no concept of what light was, do you know what type of person you would be talking to? You would be talking to a blind person. You see, blindness prevents light from getting into our eyes. Blindness prevents us from experiencing light. Blindness is perpetual darkness. We read in the text that God sends John to bear witness about the light. This is a spotlight then on our fallen condition as people, that we are so blinded by our own sin by our own depravity, that we fail to recognize when the light of life has shone in the darkness. This is our condition. Sin has darkened our hearts, and sin has made us blind. Sin has made us blind to the light of life that is Jesus. Our hearts are wicked. And in and of themselves, we don't desire Christ. We don't desire goodness. We don't desire Jesus. And sin has broken fellowship between God and creation. And God would have been just to leave us just like we were. But he didn't. In love, Jesus came into human history to endure the cross, to set us free from sin's penalty, which is eternal death, eternal condemnation. And he rose, defeating sin and death on our behalf. 
Jesus came so that all may see. And John came to bear witness of this. And what about you? What about you? Do you look at your life this way? If we're honest, the only difference between the role of John the Baptist and the role of us as believers is really just 2,000 years of time. The role of the Christian, like the role of John the Baptist, is to bear witness to the saving work of Jesus to us. In a few weeks, we're going to see John the Baptist sitting down with, with a group of his disciples, and he's going to see Jesus walking by. And John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That, too, is our message. When you go to work, Christian, do you radiate Christ? By the way you live, Christian, do people look at you and think, there's something different about this person? What sets you apart, Christian, from your unbelieving neighbors and coworkers and classmates is your relationship to Christ. But do you see your life like this? Do you see your life as a missional opportunity? Look, I'm 100% pro-mission trips, but let me tell you this, like you don't have to go to another country or some faraway place, some anti-Bible belt place in America to be missional. People on your street need to know about Jesus. People you work with need to hear about the love of Christ to them. Students, your classmates need to know about Christ. And God has sent John the Baptist into the world to proclaim Christ. And God, in his sovereignty, has placed you, his child, right where you are for such a time as this, in order that you may live for him and to proclaim him in a world that doesn't know him. And what's more than that? What an honor and a privilege it is to be called a child of God, first of all, and then to be used by him in kingdom work. What an honor and a privilege that the God of creation, the God of the universe, would see fit to use us broken people in his work. What a blessing. What a tremendous blessing it is to have a role in the kingdom of God. And the way that God reaches people is through relationships. The way that the church grows is through Christians living and functioning as missionaries where they live, where they work, and where they play. So are you living on mission for Jesus? Is your life a testimony of the grace of God on your life that you say is yours? Are you bearing witness to the life and light of Jesus Christ? Let's keep going. Verse 9. 
The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The Apostle John, not John the Baptist that we've been talking about, but the writer of this gospel, the Apostle John, then again doubles down on the nature and character of Jesus as the source of life by calling him the true light. This will be one of the many uses of the word true that we're going to see in this gospel in connection with Jesus. And with his coming, which we're going to discuss more next week, the light has come into the world and he gives his light to everyone. Throughout the Gospel of John, we're going to see that through the person and work of Jesus and through his teaching, that this light shines on all that Jesus comes into contact with. And yet, what we're going to continue to see in the Gospel of John and what we're going to see in the next couple of verses is that though Jesus' offer to life and light is available to everyone, many are going to reject him. Verses 10 and 11 begin to unfold this for us. Verse 10 says that Jesus, the creator of the world, came into the world that he created, and the world did not know him. Verse 11 says that Jesus not only came into the world, but went to his own people, the Jewish nation, who have been waiting for centuries for Jesus to come. They have been waiting for centuries for their promised rescuer. And Jesus appears, fulfilling the promise that God made to his people in the Old Testament. Jesus appears. The Jews got the Messiah they were promised, but not the Messiah that they were wanting. And so they did not receive him. Jesus came to earth the earth that he created, and he was rejected by his own people. God had chosen a special people for himself, and he had made a covenant with them to be their God, and they would be his people, and he had promised them a deliverer who would save them from their sins. And here he is, despised and rejected by the very people he came to save. And yet... Even in this rejection, God was still at work. Matt Carter says this, that God used their rejection to usher in salvation for the Gentiles. But the truth remains that the rejection of Jesus, whether it was the Jews 2,000 years ago or you today, this rejection leaves a person in sin without a Savior. No one else can bring about your salvation. No other light can pierce the darkness of your sin. Don't turn your back on him, hoping your good works will be enough, because they won't be. Verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The text says that though the majority of people reject Jesus and rejected Jesus, some indeed turned to belief in him. One major theme of the Gospel of John is belief. The term is used over 100 times in, in John's writing. So repetition in the scripture should alert you that this is probably important. This is an important theme. And so since it's an important theme, I think we should define what belief is. The text says 
that they believed in his name. What does that mean? The word for belief in the Greek is the same word that is used when it talks about faith. If you care about such things, it's pronounced pistuo. Campbell would be really proud of me, Kim. Uh, Belief means that you are considering something to be true. You're considering something to be true. And therefore, since you consider it to be true, it is worthy of your trust. It's worthy of your affections. It's worthy to be followed. And it's worthy to be acted on. So what is it that we believe? We believe, among other things, that Jesus was born of a virgin, as was prophesied. We believe that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. The life that we were called to live, but wouldn't and couldn't. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. He lived our life for us. Perfect, sinless, and holy. And then Jesus died. Betrayed by his friends, Jesus was arrested and tried illegally, and Jesus died, taking upon himself the punishment of our sins. And he endured the just wrath of God against sin. Jesus took upon himself our punishment. Jesus took upon himself our death, the death that we were supposed to die, but now we will never have to because Christ has done it. Jesus died in our place. And he was buried. He was buried in a tomb. And three days later, he rose, defeating sin and death once and for all. And through the Holy Spirit, he calls us to faith and belief in his perfect sacrifice. And this perfect sacrifice saves us and pardons us. Jesus took our sin upon himself. And in turn, he imputed to us or he gave us his righteousness in exchange. He took on our sin and we got his righteousness. This is grace. This is the undeserved kindness of Jesus to us. So belief in Jesus then means receiving Jesus, which leads to following Jesus. And that changes things in your life. Listen to me. In our very church-saturated West Texas Bible Belt culture, listen to me, please. You cannot say that you believe in Jesus. And that statement of belief have no impact on your life. You cannot say, I'm a Christian, and your life look nothing like what Jesus is calling you to. You cannot say, I believe in Jesus and not follow Jesus by faith. You cannot say, I believe in Jesus and have no regard for personal holiness. And you cannot say, I believe in Jesus and have little to no regard for fellowship with other believers through corporate worship. You can't say, I'm a Christian. You can't say, I'm a Christ follower and have no desire for Jesus. We live in this culture where so many of the people we interact with will say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they show no conviction of their sin. 
and they continue to live in worldliness, and they don't ever really consider Jesus. When we live like this, we don't take Jesus and his claims on our life all that seriously. Belief in Christ leads to following Christ. Belief in Christ leads to following Christ. This is not to say that you will do this well or perfectly ever or often even. But it does mean that you respond by repentance and faith given by conviction through the Holy Spirit who indwells believers. Your response to sin is repentance and faith, not ambivalence and blame shifting and excuse making. Belief in Christ changes things. You don't just go from hell-bound sinner to heaven-bound saint, as beautiful as that is. But you actually go from enemy to child of God. Faith in Jesus isn't just about avoiding hell. It is. But heaven isn't a place to go. Like heaven isn't a place you get to go when you are afraid of going to hell. Heaven is a place where the redeemed of the Lord will spend eternity in his presence. Like if you don't like worship... Heaven's probably not your place. The redeemed in the Lord will spend eternity in the presence of Christ. When Christ saves you by belief in him, everything changes. Your identity changes. You go from being a slave to sin to an heir with Jesus. Through belief, belief in the person and work of Jesus through his death on your cross, Christian, God has granted you the right the privilege, the status of an heir. God has granted you the right to become his child. The greatest news that the gospel affords you is that you have been adopted by God. And listen, there's no work that you can do to earn this. You can do nothing to achieve this status on your own. It is simply by the faith given to you by God himself to believe that you need Jesus. Jesus came into the world and the world rejected him. And yet, some will respond in faith. Praise God. These, verse 13, tells us that they were not born of flesh, meaning that we're not saved by our ethnic heritage like the Jews thought. We're not born by... The will of the flesh, like this is the idea of like a husband and a wife get together, get married, and they're like, hey, let's start a family. No, this is not, this is not how it works either. You're not saved by your wealth or your status or anything else other than the grace that was given to us by Jesus to come and die in our place. We are saved by the will of God to give us himself. We are saved by the will of God to give us himself in order that we can know him and delight in him and make his name famous in our brief time here on earth. 
do you believe in Jesus? And I'm asking you, church, not for you to just verbally agree with me, like, yes, I believe, but to really think about your life. Like, think about your week. Think about your weekend, even. Matthew 7 tells us that a tree is known by its fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit, and the bad trees are cut down and used as firewood and hill. Good fruit, like we discussed last week, looks like a life that is reflective of Christ. Are you marked by the fruit from the Holy Spirit? Are you marked by faithfulness, Christian? Are you marked by self-control, Christian? Are you marked by joy, Christian? Are you marked by peace, Christian? Are you marked by kindness? Are you marked by repentance and faith when you sin? Are you bearing good fruit, Christian? Are you living a life marked by faith and dependency in Jesus? And again, listen, we're not gonna do this perfectly all the time, but Jesus lived a perfect life for us. So faith and dependency in God isn't marked by trying to make ourselves look a certain way or feel a certain way or earn his love because we can't. But Christ has accomplished our perfection in his perfect sinless life. So living a life marked by faith and dependency looks like rest and it looks like trust that Jesus has defeated our greatest enemy of sin for us. And so now... Because of the blood of Jesus to us, we can get to know him without fear and without guilt and without shame. And when we're anxious and when we doubt, we can confess those things to God in Christ. And he is kind and he is gracious and he wants us. Dependency in Jesus looks like rest in this Jesus who has bought us by his blood. There's grace for our many and ever-present and ongoing failures because we are so loved by God. So rest in this grace. Confess your sins and receive his forgiveness that's already yours if, you, if you've already belonged to Christ. It's already yours. But you have to acknowledge that you need him. You have to acknowledge that you need his forgiveness. Those who approach God in faith will never be cast out. His blood speaks your pardon over you. So respond in faith. Follow him. Are you living a life marked by mission with Jesus? Does the fact that you have been bought at such a high price move you to worship? Or are you just showing up from time to time? Maybe not even just showing up here, but like showing up to your own devotional life, showing up to pray. Are you just showing up from time to time and checking a box to make yourself feel better like you've done enough today? Jesus died to give you life. 
Your salvation was costly. And your response then is to be a life that's devoted to him if you claim to be a Christian. Not to continue in your functional unbelief by rarely, if ever, considering the cross of Christ to you. Jesus died to forgive you of your sins. The only response then is confession and repentance and giving your life to him by faith and dependency. Are you, unlike the Jews 2,000 years ago, are you welcoming of Jesus? Or are you, like those in our text today, one of those that doesn't receive him? Each and every one of you, consider where you are this morning and respond in faith to the calling of Christ on your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the cross and the sacrifice, giving yourself up for your enemies. Lord, to make your enemies friends and make your enemies sons and daughters by the power of the blood and the power of the resurrection. Lord Jesus, most high, thank you for the cross. May we respond in faith and worship this morning. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to give to this ministry, please visit RedeemerChurchOdessa.org.